Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. As a result of climate change, California's farms are expected to face a surge in agricultural pests. Populations of three major insect pests, the codling moth, peach twig borer, and oriental fruit moth are projected to increase mainly due to rising temperatures. New research led by the University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources at UC Merced compared pest populations in recent and future climates. The UC study revealed that due to increases in temperature, these insects are expected to appear up to 28 days earlier in the spring and the time between generations is expected to shorten by up to 19 days. The changes may be gradual, but the study predicts that they may see up to a half generation of these pests added within the next 20 to 30 years. In the latest development in a case involving the first card check certification in California, the administrative law judge has made a crucial ruling that the scope of the hearing is limited to the issues of process. This decision comes amidst ongoing tensions between the employer, DMB Packing Corporation, and the United Farm Workers Union. The case has been under scrutiny since the UFW was certified following a majority support petition, commonly known as a card check election. DMB Packing Corporation filed objections to the UFW's certification primarily focusing on the regional director's acceptance of declarations from 31 workers not on the employer's eligibility list. The employer contends that these workers were not eligible as they did not work during the critical period preceding the filing of the majority support petition. Since the UFW barely achieved majority status, the inclusion of these workers as authorization cards is a pivotal point in the dispute. In an interesting turn of events, both parties, the employer and UFW, have issued subpoenas to challenge voter eligibility. The employer aims to contest names not on the payroll, while the UFW seeks to address names struck by the regional director. This move signals a deepening complexity in the case, focusing on the eligibility of workers to participate in the unionization process. The employer's argument hinges on the notion that the standards for challenging ballots in the ALRB secret ballot election should be equally applicable to majority support petitions. This perspective underscores a broader debate about the fair and transparency of unionization processes under the ALRB's jurisdiction. Both parties have also raised concerns about the lack of due process in the hearing. The ALRB's general counsel previously filed a pre-hearing motion to exclude farmworker testimony regarding their employment during the eligibility period. This motion has been a point of contention, with the employer arguing that such exclusion lacks transparency and violates their due process. As the case progresses, it highlights a novel issue before the ALRB, which is the lack of specific procedures in the amended act or current ALRB regulations governing the regional director's actions. The outcome of this hearing could set a significant precedent for how such disputes are handled in the future, particularly in the context of ALRB's evolving legal landscape. 
Following a successful year, Babe Farms has increased its plantings this year of Blonde Frise and is now seeing plentiful supply. This year, Babe Farms has also introduced its new Plant and Blonde Frise salad, which is a value-added item that is trimmed and pre-washed and is ready to eat. The bulk of the Frise is grown in Santa Maria, where Babe Farms can grow its Frise products year-round. While this year saw a rainy start, growing conditions have since been favorable and it's optimistic for a smooth winter. Though due to high demand, they have recently begun a blonde frise growing program with our partner growers in South Baja, Mexico, according to Babe Farms' Matt Hiltner. The Mexican product excels in both quality and sizing and will supplement their local supplies to help meet customer demands. Competing product for the frise is primarily from Europe, though due to air freight, sourcing European product can be cost prohibitive in the U.S. As for demand, it has been good, but it's expected to pick up over the holidays given the product is largely a food service item and this time of the year, food service demand tends to increase. Blonde Frise is more of a niche item that finds its home in the fine dining space, according to Hiltner. Top chefs prize this type of gourmet yellow Frise for its curl texture and bitter edge. Over the years, it has become one of their signature items, and they are now one of the largest scale producers of Blonde Frise in the U.S. To keep movement steady, the grower shipper is asking customers to provide their estimated weekly purchasing volume of Platinum Blonde Frise salad to help ensure a seamless introduction and efficient distribution. On pricing, it's fairly consistent with where it was last year at this time. For Babe Farms, it is offering introductory pricing on Plant and Blonde Frise salad as it continues to roll the item out. The second California diamond in-shell walnuts shipment has arrived in Tavano in the Netherlands. The demand for these boxes grows annually and only increases towards Christmas, according to Dylan Langenberg. Tavano gets these in-shell walnuts in their 25-kilogram boxes. He says they supply plenty of these walnuts to Dutch exporters, but they're almost out. The price the lowest in recent years, which is also boosting sales. Fruit World, a fresh produce company with generations of history, is welcoming the California citrus season with fresh, bold new packaging. It's providing a combination of pack styles and varieties across all of its citrus lines, mandarins, oranges, grapefruits, specialty citrus, and lemons. The season has started later than usual with limited volume. However, it has increased its organic production and is excited to offer its partners citrus picked at the season's peak. The winter California citrus season brings an awesome selection of organic citrus bursting with freshness and flavor. It's a testament to their commitment to delivering the best to their customers, according to Bianca Caprilian, founder and CEO. Fruit World is proud to unveil new packaging that's lively and bold, and each bag comes with a unique QR code inviting consumers on a journey through its heart of deliciously different ethos. Their new packaging reflects their dedication of bringing a sense of fun and energy to every Fruit World experience. They want their customers Customers to feel the excitement of discovering something exceptional with every bag they open, she says. The organic and conventional fruit company's commitment to organic farming practices and sustainability is evident in every bite. It has also just become Equitable Food Initiative certified, assuring retailers and consumers how its fruit is grown, packed, and distributed. They believe in offering more than just fruit. They provide an experience, a journey into a world where flavor is key, family farms are at the front and center, and each bite tells the story of authenticity and care according to Capper Leon. 
The All Items Consumer Price Index, a measure of economy-wide inflation, was unchanged from September 2023 to October 2023 and was up 3.2% from October of 2022. The CPI for all food increased 0.3% from September of 2023 to October of 2023, and food prices were 3.3% higher than in October of 2022. The level of food price inflation varies depending on whether the food was purchased for consumption at home or away from home. Prices increased 0.9% for fresh fruits from September. September to October of 2023, only partially due to seasonal factors, while fresh vegetable prices decreased 0.6% in October of 2023, unrelated to seasonal factors. Prices for fresh fruits and vegetables are predicted to continue their slow growth relative to other categories from 2022. Prices for fresh fruits are predicted to increase a half percent in 2023, with a prediction interval of minus 0.1 to 1.2%. Fresh vegetable prices are predicted to increase 0.9% in 2023 with a prediction interval of 0.3 to 1.6%. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. UCANR has been conducting a three-year study on compost application in alfalfa thanks to a USDA Healthy Soils program grant. The team has been evaluating the use of green waste compost on established alfalfa fields in Yolo and San Joaquin counties. Michelle Leinfelder-Miles, a farm advisor for UCCE San Joaquin County, working on the project, said the study, now heading into its third year, was conducted on two commercial farms. The two sites are pretty different in terms of um, their soil characteristics. So at the Yolo County site, it's a heavy clay soil. And in the San Joaquin County site, it's uh, the farm is located in the Delta region. So the soil is... Um, has a higher organic matter level than in most soils in California. It's probably around six to eight percent organic matter, um, but also has some uh, uh, low permeability characteristics. So at at both of these sites, that was the trigger to um, get us to think about compost as a soil amendment that might be able to uh, make changes to the soil characteristics to help with permeability to help with soil aggregation and some of these other soil health, uh, particularly physical soil health characteristics. The success of many UCCE trials depend on growers who are willing to bring researchers onto their farms, like the two farms that this trial is being conducted on. Our trial is being um, uh, conducted with two commercial uh, farmers. So these are commercial scale fields um, at least 10 acres in size. Um, and so the plot sizes are also quite large. We're able to look at um, compost application on these larger plots and get a, a good sense for how um, changes may be occurring um, on these larger scales. So that's that's nice because then we feel um, we, we have a little bit more confidence in what we're communicating with, with the growers. And a lot of what we do with cooperative through cooperative extension or the university is we work with those growers who are willing to try something new um, 
and uh, experiment with something. And then we really rely on, um, you know, grower to grower networking to communicate results out. And we really rely on um, those growers who are willing to experiment with something new um, and then their network. So we are communicating the results that we find um, by working with those um, growers. Uh, and then they have their networks. So they're speaking with their neighbors and other farmers um, and, and consultants and other people in agricultural industry. And it helps to get the word out just by working with those farmers who are um, kind of willing to experiment with something new. She says the objectives were to learn whether green waste compost improves soil nutrient status or other soil health characteristics, whether it improves alfalfa yield or quality, or if its application affects greenhouse gas emissions. Our goals with this project were kind of threefold. Um, we were interested in learning whether the compost, the green waste compost would have um, any impact on soil health characteristics. So as part of this project, we're measuring things like compaction and water infiltration. Um, we're interested in whether the compost has any impact on the alfalfa yield or the quality. So we've been measuring those characteristics and uh, our, our third um, interest was in whether there was a change in greenhouse gas emissions when the compost was applied compared to the no compost controls. So we, in these, both of these sites in Yolo and San Joaquin, we have the compost treatments, which were three tons to the acre and six tons to the acre, but then comparing to zero compost so that we know um, whether these, these treatment levels make a difference um, compared to, you know, no, compo no compost at all. Leinfelder-Miles said the trial results are only preliminary. They have analyzed two years of data so far with one more to go. What we're noticing is a trend for yield and quality to improve, especially where there are nutrient deficiencies in the soil already. So it, I'm kind of um, putting a caveat on that um, because we're still running the statistics and sometimes it, it's hard to tease apart differences statistically, um, but we can notice trends in the data that we think translate into something real. So um, to be a little bit more uh, descriptive, at the San Joaquin County site, uh, which is a site where the soil is inherently low in potassium, we have found that the addition of the green waste compost is adding about 50 pounds of potassium for the three tons to the acre treatment and double that for the six tons. And that amount of potassium that's coming from the, the product is translating into um, higher leaf potassium levels which we think is then translating into some higher yields. It's not statistically different. And uh, maybe with that third year of data figured in, we'll be able to tease out those statistics. But um, right now, I think what it's telling us is while the green waste compost isn't especially high in nutrients, um, it is adding some nutrition to the soil, which is then readily available for the alfalfa to take up. Waste compost is a relatively cheap input, but transport costs can be significantly high. And while there are no specific grants available currently to growers, Leinfelder Miles encourages them to keep an eye out for any that may come up and says there are incentive programs available. These incentive grants help um, cost share 
um, implementation of practices. So those are especially relevant for the grower community to look into. Um, my understanding is there aren't, um, uh, there isn't uh, a grant program open at this time, um, but growers or others can always go to the CDFA Healthy Soils website to look and see when funding may become available. And those those grants are great. They can help to offset the cost of compost. So we've found that compost is um, the compost itself is not an especially expensive soil amendment, but it's the cost of transporting it um, to the fields that can get a bit expensive. And that that would be the same for a lot of soil amendments, not just green waste compost. It's, it's the transportation costs that can be um, quite expensive for growers. So when there are these incentive programs available, then it helps to offset those costs. Landfolder Miles writes a blog on her research called SJC and Delta Field Crops, which can be found on the UCANR website. She also presented this work recently at a UC Kearney Field Crops and Alfalfa Field Day, which can be found at alfalfa.ucdavis.edu. For My Ag Life, this is Kristen Platts. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. The National Association of Conservation Districts CEO, Jeremy Peters, provides an update on a Climate Smart Commodities Award that they received from the U.S. Department of Agriculture about a year ago. NACD is now ready to initiate the project's implementation phase, which is aimed at delivering value-added services to producers. NACD will be implementing up to a $90 million award under the, the Partnership for Climate Smart Commodities across all 50 states and the territories really looking at how we can add uh, value to the, the the services that producers are providing through the um, adoption of conservation practices, how they can also market the commodities that they're producing for a higher premium um, under the program. So a lot more to come um, as we get the, the program underway. In other words, partner organizations are able to apply for funding directly through the NACD itself for Climate Smart Commodities Project funding. So we just closed earlier this fall an initial call for concept papers and received a very robust uh, response from various partners, ranging from uh, individual conservation districts to our state and territory association to organizations, companies that are all looking at opportunities to advance climate and sustainability goals uh, through this program. So a lot more information to come on the specific projects that we'll be funding across the country. National Association of Conservation Districts CEO Jeremy Peters. American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist Roger Cryan testified on behalf of the group's membership at the Federal Milk Marketing Order Pricing Formula hearing. His testimony underscored the need for updating Class 1 and Class 2 price differentials to bring fairness for farmers back into the Federal Milk Marketing Orders. Class 1 differentials are meant to incentivize the movement of milk to where it's demanded and assist in maintaining regional production capacity in a manner that provides consumers with consistent access to fresh milk. The Class 2 differential is meant to represent the higher value of class two milk, which is used in dairy products like ice cream, cottage cheese, and sour cream, while class four milk is used in butter and dairy products. The proposal is the reduction or elimination of negative producer price differentials and the deep pooling they cause, according to Cryan in his testimony. An orderly pool is key for orderly marketing. 
The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service Administrator Spiro Stefano says that the latest USDA farm income forecast for 2023 is projecting net cash farm income to be down from last year's record high. They're decreasing about 4.7% in 2023. Now that's following a forecast increase in 2022 that was record about 22.5%. So so uh, these these cash that farm cash receipts are are down. So both crop and animal product receipts are forecast to decrease in 2023. Stefano says that farm assets are growing faster than farm debt and bankruptcies are down from about a rate of three bankruptcies for every 10,000 farms five years ago to one bankruptcy every 10,000 farms this year. Bankruptcy rates have continued to fall. Thus, farm income is down from last year, but is still above average compared to the last 20 years. And he says it is not a dire situation. A fairly healthy financial situation for the farm sector. Once again, Spiro Stefano, USDA Economic Research Service Administrator. It was a first for sustainable aviation fuel, a 100% SAF transatlantic test flight from London to New York, and it has the ethanol industry smiling. Virgin Atlantic says its flight to New York's JFK International Airport was powered by fuel from plant sugars and waste fats and emitted 70% less carbon than oil-based jet fuel. Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper says it was a milestone for the ethanol industry. Transatlantic flight is really a big deal for the industry. It is a major milestone. This is the first time we've seen that sort of flight powered by 100% sustainable aviation fuel. And while some in the media consider the Virgin Atlantic SAF flight a stunt since standard jet engines aren't designed for pure SAF, Cooper strongly disagrees. Well, it isn't just a stunt. This is something we're going to see become commonplace in the years ahead. We are probably still several years away from seeing SAF used on a broad basis, especially at at 100% level blend. But most sustainable aviation fuel being produced today is chemically identical to the petroleum-based jet fuel that it's replacing. In the meantime, SAF is considered a drop-in fuel that can extend standard jet fuel. So you can blend it in with... Uh, kerosene-based jet fuel today. Again, typically the level that we see most commonly is 50%, but obviously this project has demonstrated you can go all the way to 100%. Renewable Fuels Association's Jeff Cooper. We know it's been tough managing inputs and resources lately. That's why we're inviting you to the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno, California. This event is a lifeline for specialty crop growers, PCAs, CCAs, and applicators alike. It's your opportunity to get help in today's challenging landscape. What will you find at the Input Ag Summit? Cost-saving seminars, networking with experts, special panel discussions, and solutions for hard times. Visit myaglife.com backslash events today to sign up for this new and exciting conference. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. 
Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 